Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians and chapter number 6. I noticed there were nine guys. I was trying to figure that out. Nine guys. Were there three parts? I think there was four. So if there's four parts, there's three guys in one part, which means those guys, maybe they didn't really have confidence in them. Okay, so they put in three. So I don't know. Do you think things like that? Do you think weird things like that? Okay, I, I constantly am thinking weird things. Okay, so, um, uh, but anyway. And uh, I was thinking, I don't know why I was thinking about this. Uh, it's really not hungry at this moment. But if you, uh, those of you heading into evangelism, I've got to tell you, there's a side job every evangelist has, and that is you become a foodie. Um, uh, how many of you out here uh, miss a local food joint in your home area? Can I see your hands late? See? See, that's foodies. Okay, right there. They, uh, and um, so as I travel the country, there's certain places, boy, when I'm in that area, boy, we're going to go there because that's the only place they have it or certain places they have it. How many have a little idea what I'm talking about? How many have ever had vinegar-based North Carolina barbecue? Okay, yes, okay, I love vinegar-based North Carolina barbecue. Some of my team members don't like it, but that's okay, I'm still going, okay? But, um, and then Sonny's Barbecue, I think you'll die and go to heaven. How many have been to Sonny's? If you're a meat eater, you're going to love that. Okay, old carnivores love Sonny's, uh, that's another great place. And um, how many like Zaxby's? Anybody who Zaxby's people? I love that sauce, I don't know what it is, that little bite in that Zaxby's sauce, see, that's good too. Now, this is, food isn't that great, but you cannot beat the price. Six bucks, cookout. You've got to go to cookout. Yeah, cookout, you get a hamburger, two sides, and a shake for six bucks. Unbelievable. How many know what I'm talking about? See, if you are excited, they're already salivating. You can see them out there. They're ready to go to cookout. And then a new one I discovered. I don't know many people know about PDQ. Anybody ever been to PDQ? Okay, yeah, PDQ. Boy, that's a great place for chicken fingers, and they got all kinds of sauces. And they make you think it's healthy, so you really ought to do it. And they got a, they've got sweet potato waffle fries, okay? And the dip, you're going to love this, is marshmallow. Okay, so that's unbelievable. Think about that for a moment. Uh, well, you can't get it anywhere else, so it's kind of cool, you know, having sweet potato fries, dipping them in marshmallow. And that was pretty cool. And then, of course, zucchini fries. More places are having those, but PDQ has zucchini fries. I'm sure they're as bad as French fries, but you think you're being healthy. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. It's that part of the deal. But Payway, anybody ever been to Payway? Okay, that's, uh, that's Payway is, uh, that's really good Asian fast food. It makes Panda Express look like it's a has-been, but because um, uh, they cook it right in front of you. Okay, so yours is fresh. So anyway, I don't know why I thought of that, but I thought you'd enjoy thinking about that right here before lunch. And uh, in and out I forgot about in and out All you, uh, yeah, okay, some of you California people, in and out uh, now, whenever I go out to California, the first couple times in and out, I absolutely love it, and then it gets old fast. <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, they love it out there. I'm telling you, in and out is like packed out all the time, and has the most limited menu I've ever seen. You can either get a single, a double, or a triple French fries and uh, either a shake or a soda. That's it. That's on the end. that's it on the menu. So, um, uh, but they're packed out all the time, and if you take the cup and turn it around. Uh, there is a Bible verse on the bottom, okay? So that's uh, In-N-Out. It's kind of a unique uh, fast food joint. And uh, anybody, uh, of course, I know you, you grew up in California. Has anybody else? For, okay, some in California know a little bit about it. But anyway, uh, so we'll leave that alone, okay, and move on. But um, see, some of you are excited about evangelism, okay? It's not just being a foodie, though. I will say that. It's not being a foodie. It's more than that. But uh, I was thinking of that uh, the other day. I'm thinking, boy, you know, you get used to finding certain places all over the country, uh, that you kind of visit on a regular basis. And, uh, but anyway, and then, of course, in Canada, Tim Hortons. You can't, I know you Canadians, you just take
take Tim's for granted, but um, I have Tim's here in the States, and it's okay, but you cross the border. I don't know what it is. There's something in Canadian Tim's that is better than American Tim's, so if you're just kind of thinking it's mediocre, you've got to cross the border, okay, and then get your cup of coffee. And the thing I love about Tim's is they're everywhere. I mean, they say for every McDonald's in Canada, there are four Tim Hortons. Did you know that? Okay, to give you an idea of what's going on up there, and you can see some work. And I'll tell you, their pumpkin spice Timbits are the best on the planet. You cannot even come close. Okay, so uh, if you wonder if I die a few years early, you'll know why. Okay, but anyway, I have really enjoyed life, so don't feel sorry for me. Okay, but, uh, uh, but anyway, how many are now heading into evangelism? We have an invitation. Okay, have I convinced you? Okay, so uh, there it is. But... Um, Well, we had a good time here going through the little book, Victory in Christ, and uh, I'm just curious, before our series, how many of you have read Victory in Christ? Can I see your hands, please? And it would certainly be a good read over Christmas, particularly you freshmen. If you're thinking, boy, I've learned things this uh, semester, I've begun to understand a little bit of sanctification by faith, this book would certainly encourage you, jar your thinking in a good way, and uh, help you sift through things. And I know for me, uh, this uh, book began me on a journey several years ago that it culminated in writing the book, and I'm still on the journey, don't get me wrong, but uh, it's certainly, uh, and then some comments on it, some different uh, email exchanges, and then a blog that I saw written on an article that I think came from the same thinking here, and it helped me uh, really hone it out and try to get theologically precise on parsing it so you don't go into error on either side, and so just thought it might be helpful. Now, really, I've preached the whole series for the last chapter, and here is our last chapel here, and and I know we'll have some other testimony chapels, but the perils of the victorious life. And it's very interesting because Charles Trumbull will tell you that the victorious life is a very perilous life. Now, don't let that shock you because it's like this. Anybody out here ever play tackle football? Either just, uh, okay, goofing around or play the serious tackle football. Have you ever noticed the guy with the ball everybody wants to tackle? Have you ever noticed that? What would you think about a, a budding football prospect and he trains, you know, he practices, gets out there on the first game, he's going to be the starting running back, and quarterback gets the ball, hands it to the running back, and of course he runs left tackle right through a hole, and they're supposed to make way, but they don't. The middle linebacker is right there to meet him, and I mean, he just like hitting a brick wall, and down he goes. And he gets up and walks off the field and says to the coach, that hurt, I'm not playing anymore. <laughs> Now, there's one word we all have for, have for that. He's a wimp. You know what I'm talking about? He is a wimp. Because if you play football, you expect pain. It really is part of it. And really, any sport has a certain amount of pain. You ever gotten hit by a 90-mile-an-hour baseball? Okay, that hurts, okay? And, and there is pain that comes uh, in any sport. You can just put it out even in basketball. Guys roll their ankle, and et cetera, and, and things happen. But uh, hockey, of course, uh, if you have the puck, guess what happens in hockey? Everybody's after you. They want to check you into the boards. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, ask the Canadians. They can tell you about hockey. You're missing out one of the greatest sports America, mankind has ever, ever come up with. But anyway, uh, but um, the point is simply this, that nobody's shocked uh, that as a football, if, if he gets tackled, nobody's shocked that people are after to take him down. Nobody's shocked at that. See, we under that, understand that in the sports world, but somehow in the Christian world, we, we kind of think that to be odd. But I'm going to tell you, young person, When you begin to get hold of the Christ life, may I say this carefully, you have a target on your back and Satan wants to take you down, and I'm going to tell you why. Not so much because he hates you, although he does, but he hates the Jesus that is now living through you. See, that's what he hates. That's why he comes after you, because he does not want you to be a channel of the presence of Jesus Christ. Now think about this for a moment theologically. You know, it really was a masterful plan. Could have Jesus, if he wanted to, just stayed here on planet Earth? Well, 
obviously because of the Bible. He couldn't have because of prophecies, etc. But you uh, were just talking in theory. Yeah, he could have. He could have, couldn't he? Could he still be here? He could be. But if Jesus was here on planet Earth, think about it. How, many how, many, how often would you and I have spent time with Jesus? And the answer is very little. <laughs> have to get a plane ticket, probably a fly over to Jerusalem and get in line. Think about that line. Days, maybe weeks, months. And finally you get to spend a few moments with Jesus and then you're done. Now wasn't it a masterful plan? The Lord Jesus went back to heaven and what did he do? He sent out his spirit into every believer's life so that every believer is a potential channel of the presence of Jesus Christ. So that not only can we fellowship with Jesus because he lives in us, we literally in the lives of other believers who are walking with him can be touched by the life of Christ and another believer. And I, I think all of us have been touched by the life of Christ through another believer, whether you recognize it or not. I certainly growing up didn't recognize it. I couldn't have parsed it in those language. I could not have told you that was what was happening. But that was what was happening through my grandmother and through my mother and my father. Not that they were perfect, and certainly there were moments when they were channels of the Lord Jesus, but there were many moments that they were. And as a result of that, I received great blessing in my life, and I didn't even understand what was happening. My grandmother, I think, was, uh, I would say doctrinally, I do not believe in sinless perfectionism, but practically, I think my grandmother had reached it. I don't know that she ever sinned. Now, maybe Pastor Van Gelderen saw something I've never saw, but she seemed to be a lady that had a remarkably consistent Christian walk with God. And I know as a little kid, when I was around my grandmother, I don't know how to explain it, I was scared. Now, I have to understand, I wasn't scared of her. I knew she would never hurt me. But she so walked with God, when you're not walking with God, you know, it's, like, it's just like you're exposed. Like you know something's wrong with me. And I mean, the worst thing in the world was when Grandma said, now come over, Jimmy, come over here and sit right next to me. You knew you were in for an hour, at least an hour. When you got caught, you were in for an hour. And boy, she'd open the Bible and tell her what Jesus had been teaching her, tears streaming down your face, and you felt like about as small as you could feel. Like, man, I'm not even close to where Grandma is. I don't know God like she does. Then she'd pray. Boy, I'm telling you what, you went right into the throne room. That's a good thing when you're right with God, but it's not such a good thing when you're not. And all I'm simply saying is, if you have been around godly Christians, you have been touched by the life of Christ. Now, if Jesus had not ascended, that is not how it would work. So understand, when you become a channel in some measure, and I trust that all of you have the some measure, and maybe you haven't yet, but some measure, I've literally been a channel of the presence of Jesus Christ, you will life people. Can I put it this way? When you're a channel of your flesh, you death people. I know I'm taking nouns and turning them into verbs, but nonetheless, it's for effect. Okay, so when you allow the flesh to use, uh, come through you as a channel, you death people. But when Jesus channels through you, you life people. Because he lifes people. I think I've said this before, but if I could have one person come to my funeral, I wouldn't even have to think about it. If I knew there was one person, it would be Jesus. Because I know the moment he showed up, it wouldn't be a funeral anymore. Think about that. Jesus could not attend funerals. <laughs> Why? Because there was no more funeral. Quite an amazing thought, isn't it? But the truth is, the greater miracle certainly is not physical life. The greater miracle is the channel of spiritual life. And that's the greater miracle. That we have life and more abundant life. So that's why we need to go through this just quickly, and I'm going to have to move quickly on it, some of the perils of this kind of life, because you have to understand Satan does not want you to be a channel of the life of Jesus. 
He will do anything he can to stop the channel. And I don't know about you, he seems pretty effective at doing it. What do you think? But he doesn't have to be. So let's look at some of the perils here that, uh, uh, that just trumble. I'm just going to mention trumbles. That way you know I have no agenda. I'm just walking down through his. He starts, there's several things he says. The secret of complete victory is faith. Okay, we've talked about that. Simply believing that Jesus has done and is doing it all. Simple statement, but profound. He said, now, if there should be failure through unbelief, obviously when we step into unbelief, like Peter did, uh, walking on the water, he said there comes a real peril. The first one is this, the lie of Satan is whispered in your ear, you have sinned, and that proves you never had the blessing you thought you had. Now, I think that most of us understand that peril here, and understand when we step by faith into walking with Jesus that it was like we talked about yesterday. We didn't earn it. It was a gift. And it was a, it's a remarkable thing. It's supernatural. So when you and I sin, sometimes people say, well, I never had it. Well, the truth is you did. But we stepped out of it by unbelief. Another peril is twofold. Our supposing on the one hand that the longer we continue in victory, the safer we are. And on the other hand, that if by sin we have broken our victory, we're thereby weaker and less certain of, of continued victory. See, what, what Trumbull's trying to help us understand is victory is something that you obtain by faith. It is not something you get by becoming stronger spiritually. You've heard me say this, but I, I want you to get this. For years, I thought, and I may have alluded to this a little bit yesterday, I thought by the time I was 50, I would be a spiritual giant. You know, I'd be stronger and stronger and stronger, and by the time I'm 50, I'm just not going to, there's going to be certain things I'm not going to struggle with anymore. Then I turn 50. <laughs> Any 50-plus-year-olds in the room know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, ah, yeah, I still got some of those same issues. See, when I learn this simple truth that I'm weak and I will always be weak, and the Christian life is not weak little me getting stronger and stronger and stronger. The Christian life is weak little me learning by faith to tap into him who is strong and who will always be strong. See, so the longer I'm walking with him, certainly I'm learning consistency, but the point is simply this, when I fall out of that, uh, or if I become content that, you know, and you get lazy in my faith, then certainly, just like anything, the moment we look away from Jesus, we're in trouble. Because it's not about us, it's about Him. It's not about the natural, it's about the supernatural. It's not about what I can do, it's about what He can do. You see that? So understanding a parable, a peril is somehow putting, uh, you know, uh, some of the thinking in our realm that I can get stronger, so the longer I go, I'm a little more immune. They say that's a danger with addicts. They go and go and go, well, I'm not tempted by that anymore, and then boom, they fall. And the same thing can happen to us. After a sustained victory, we can think, well, I'm not, you know, we get a little lazy, get a little less careless, and boom, down we go. Why? Because the victory is not what we do. The victory is trusting what he is doing and has done, <laughs> see? And then by faith stepping out, trusting him to enable us to do the miracle. Okay, so uh, that, that was an interesting per uh, peril. Then uh, thirdly, uh, the very joy of that yielded life when God's will is wholly accepted brings with another parable. And it has been said that when Satan finds he cannot prevent one from doing the whole will of God, he then tries to drive that one beyond the will of God. Now let me just say this. If Satan cannot stop you, he will push you. And the point is simply this, that people not only do the will of God, they do things that they say the will of God but are not. Now let me help you out with this one. Satan is obviously uh, our great enemy, and the Bible says that not only is he a tempter, where he tries to get us to do sin, the Bible says he is a counterfeiter. And no marvel, for even Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. 
And um, in fact, I was going to read that Ephesians passage, but I got talking about food. I'm sorry, so forgive me about that. But go to verse number 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, because I want you to see this. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. This helps us with the point we just mentioned a moment ago, in the power of His might. That's passive in voice there, be strong in the Lord, be strengthened in the Lord. It's His strength, not ours. In the power of His might, it's His might, not ours. It's a gift, it's not earned, it's by faith obtained. It's trusting God to enable us. It's the I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me life. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against, what does it say? The wiles of the devil. That's the deceitful strategies of the devil. That's what I believe we're discussing here, deceitful strategies of the devil. Now, let me just simply say, I'm convinced that there's no deceitful strategy of Satan that is not revealed in the Word of, in the Word of God. Every one of them is exposed. And the reason we know that, because the Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. Now, you, you can be ignorant if you're ignorant of the Word of God, but if you're not ignorant of the Word of God, there's no device of Satan that you and I need to fear. There's no wile. And, of course, for those of you in my generation, which are only a few, the word wiles makes us smile because we remember an old cartoon that had a coyote called Wile E. Coyote. Yeah, okay, but he wasn't very wily. Let me just simply say um, he never really got the roadrunner. And if you want to make a spiritual analogy, which I'd encourage you not to make, it would simply mean that the devil's more like the Wile E. Coyote than you think, okay? He doesn't have to get any of us because his wiles are exposed, in the Word of God. And this is one of them. Satan will sometimes counterfeit. Now, I will simply say this is generally for the totally sold out guy. If you're not totally sold out and you're not all in, and you're not seeing miraculous victory, you're not seeing miraculous leadership, and you're not seeing the supernatural in your life, this is probably not Satan's temptation to you. Now, usually Satan gets people who are immature. Now, what I mean by immature is have very little life experience and very little Christian life experience, and they fall prey to satanic counterfeit. And he pushes them farther than God's will is. Now, you might say, what in the world could that be? Well, sometimes people over-confess. Someone might get right with God and get right with the proper people and find great joy and relief in confessing, and guess what Satan does? He starts to push him to confess things to people that were perhaps taken care of years ago that do not need to be confessed. Can that happen, by the way? Yeah, over-confession is sometimes Satan. He's just, so obviously most people struggle with under-confession, but Satan can push people to over-confession. Uh, because he's trying, and what happens is darkness and mist and, and just, and just uh, uh, it clouds things. There's confusion, wondering why that didn't bring the relief and the joy that uh, earlier confession did. Well, it's because God wasn't in it. They didn't need to do that confession. It was not maybe appropriate or not needed or whatever. Uh, obviously, sometimes even leadership. And I, I've talked to dear people, and I know a certain part of my young Christian life fell into an oversensitivity in the matter of, of soul winning. What I mean by that is, is... Um, Instead of trusting the Lord just to lead you along, there's an over-constraint so much so that you don't even want to look at anybody because you're afraid that God's going to tell you to do something about it. And there becomes an over-constraint, and you know what happens? There's no rest and there's no peace, and you draw back from uh, witnessing and do not see the joy of God leading you in it. Do you, you catch what I'm talking about? Some of you are not over-sensitive. You're not, you're not understanding what I'm saying. But that's what I'm talking about. Satan will try to push you. If you think that's your problem, please get some help and counsel because Satan does do that. And then what happens is people just give up. And they stopped doing everything because they thought they were following the Lord when they actually weren't. So that is a peril. And I do believe it happens not to many, but to some uh, get pushed beyond the will of God. Um, here he points, here's one way of distinguishing between God's leading and Satan's angel of light leadings. This is Trumbull. 
to the really surrendered Christian who is trusting Christ for victory, God's leading and promptings never nag or worry or harass. Satan's do just this. If one has a seeming leading to do something that in itself is good, yet with the impulse there's a sense of nagging, disquiet, almost as though a mosquito or a gnat were buzzing around about trying to drive us in a certain direction, that is Satan earmark. His calling card and his false leading is to be instantly recognized and rejected. The Holy Spirit's leadings to the surrendered, trusting Christian come with a sense of peace and quiet, even if they point in a really difficult direction, which only the grace of God can enable. That is tremendous advice. You say, where's that in the Bible? God is light and in Him is... Let's see. God always leads. He's a God of peace. He's Be anxious for... Do you know you're not even supposed to be anxious about the will of God? You should be trusted. God's more concerned about the will of God than you are. So you can rest in Him. You can trust in Him. You don't have to worry about the will of God if you want it. Okay? You don't have to be anxious about it. God doesn't want us to worry about anything. Okay, so um, uh, that's another peril. Here's a peril. Yeah, uh, another peril is we mistakenly suppose we must continually be having thrilling, unexpected supernatural evidences of God's power. And if these supernatural phenomena do not occur, we are tempted to think that something is wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. The Christian victorious life is a supernatural life. But may I say, there are times in your Christian life, and I think anybody older will understand what I'm talking about here, there is times God lets the fog roll in. Now, to use the airplane analogy, which many of you have heard me give, when God allows the fog to go in, He's trying to do, tell you something. He's telling you, trying to tell you this, don't trust your experience, trust the instrument panel. Fog always drives me to the instrument panel. And sometimes we can get trusting our experiences too much. But I have learned this, if you're trusting the instrument panel, God is working whether your experience is seeing it or feeling it or not. Do you catch that with me? I don't know how many times I felt like I was in an absolute wrestling match at the beginning of our week of special forces, only to find out later on that God was doing remarkable things from the very first moment we stepped on the property. I remember years ago when a very difficult Christian school, very worldly, all kinds of problems, Giving an invitation on Friday and God broke through. I remember one young man, either a junior or senior, was sobbing. One of our team members took him aside. He was just broken. And I remember the team member, I was talking to him, debriefing what, it, what was the decision, what was happening. And this particular team member asked him, I mean, because the kid was broken. He said, when did God start dealing with you? Oh, he said, man, God tore me up on that from the very first chapel on. And you know when he told me that, you know what I thought to myself? Could have fooled me. For about three days, I've humanly felt like nothing was going on. But you know what I found? If you trust the instrument panel, something's going on. See? So understand, supernatural things are happening, but God doesn't always let us in on it. Years ago, I had a young preacher, and he came to me and said, Brother Van Gelderen, he said, man, I, I prayed. I claimed the promises. I was standing on the promises. I knew God was going to work. I got up and preached, and nothing happened. And I responded with this. How do you know? Do you know you could have nobody come forward in an invitation and you'd be on the brink of revival? Did you know that? Because it's not, we're not talking about your experience, we're talking about what the, the, the instrument panel. So recognize, don't get me wrong, I want to see what God's doing, but I've learned that sometimes we have to trust God because when you're in a battle, I don't know about you, but I've never been in a real battle, but I can kind of get the idea that battling isn't fun. You know why? Because I've learned that spiritual battling sometimes isn't fun. You're in a wrestling match of your life. And sometimes you don't experience everything spiritually. 
But you trust God and believe that He's working even when you don't have any reason to believe that He is from an experiential standpoint. You believe it because the Bible says so. It's kind of like the children of Israel going around Jericho on that seventh day 13 times. Do you think there were tremors along the way? Do you think cracks were forming in the wall? Do you think there was anything in their experience that telling them those walls are coming down? And the answer is not at all. So why did they do it and why did they believe it? Because they weren't trusting their experience. They were trusting the promise of God. Are you tracking with me? I believe it was the finest moment, in, well, I should say one of the finest moments in the history of nation Israel. When they hit, hit those trumpets and shouted, that was an unbelievable moment. Because there was nothing in their experience to believe that it was going to happen. They believed it on one thing and one thing alone, the instrument panel. See, So, just to help us with that, and that kind of levels you out instead of up and down. If you depend upon experience to determine where you are with God, you will have an up and down Christian life. But if you depend upon the Word, you'll level out. You'll get where God wants you to be. Okay, uh, next one. There's the peril of unconsciously assuming an infallible knowledge of God's will. Um, I've said this to Mr. Bosler, and there's an other side to it. I want to be careful. But as a young evangelist, when he was younger, I said, don't take yourself too seriously. Now, what I mean by that is, in one sense, you should take yourself seriously because God's got a plan for your life, and He wants to do tremendous things through you. But on the other hand, don't take yourself too seriously. You know why? You're a human being. Anything God does is a miracle. <laughs> And we never reach infallibility. Did you know that? Now, over the years, as an experienced preacher, and I'm sure Doc Flanders, Brother Miller, and others back there have done this, and you can look at somebody's life and pretty well diagnose, they got a problem, and I think I know what it is. Many times I'll sit a young man down and I'll say, you know, I'm concerned about this, this, and this, and this is my take on it. But I have learned to do this. I have learned to say, here's where I perceive your problem is. And then I'll ask this question. Now, do you think I might be wrong or do you think I'm off some? Because if I'm off, I'd like, to, I'd like to get your perspective. I always give them an opportunity to say, well, and I've had some people, no, Dr. Jim, I don't think that's the way it is. I think this factor, this factor, and oh, I see that. Okay, that makes sense. And we work together on it. Because I will tell you, I do not have infallibility and understanding what's going on in your heart. Sometimes I can get a good guess and sometimes I peg it, but not all the times. Sometimes I get a burden, but I make the wrong application from that burden. Okay, so this is basically helping us understand we're still human beings, and, there's, and, and the only thing that is infallible is this. <laughs> See, we can get it off. We can miss it. We can mix it up. There's sometimes I'll say, if I'm getting it right, that kid's called to preach. Now, if I were to say that to you, wouldn't, don't be offended. I could be wrong. I don't think I am, but I think I could be. I really, I say that, I could be. For instance, I, Paul's not here, so I can embarrass Paul Schweitzer. Uh, Paul was preaching, and he had only been with me a few weeks. And Paul was preaching a large Christian school. He was preaching to 50 kids. And he gave an invitation, and 48 of them came to get right with God. And so I got a text. Um, somebody from the team said, get over here. we got 48 kids we got to deal with. And so I'm like, oh, this, I'm, I'm over there. I open the door, walk in. Now, Paul had only been on the team. He'd only been in college for a year and a half. A year, I guess. And uh, I, he was doing everything I would do after being in ministry for 30-some years. He was doing everything I would do, and I'd never taught him how to do it. It was remarkable. The whole Christian school experienced revival. And Paul was, I don't know how to explain it. He had these kids grouped up over here, kids crying over here, kids here, and he's moving around just like I would have done. And I was sitting there all with my mouth open and saying, this is unbelievable. So I've told Paul Schweitzer, and I'm telling everybody publicly, if Paul ever does anything but preaching, 
he's missing it because he's called to preach. You know, and the point I would say is, because I saw his gift in action. Now, I don't think I'm wrong. But my point is, sometimes I can get a pretty good idea on the fact. So some of you, if I ever come to you and say, buddy, I don't... The rest of your life, if you ever do anything else than preaching, you're, you're, you're in trouble. Okay, uh, with me at least. Okay, uh, you understand I could be wrong, but I'm probably not. I'm probably p- picking up your gift. But the point is, uh, we don't have an invaluable knowledge of God's will. And uh, could be wrong. And I could point to certain of you in the room. I've seen God use you. I've seen God use you. So don't pull that one. I'm not called to preach on me. Okay, but anyway, okay. But on the other hand, I could be wrong. Okay, so uh, I probably didn't do a good job on that one. But nonetheless, okay. Uh, another danger is in thinking more about blessings than the blesser. And that is a danger, particularly in our youth. Uh, another peril is pride. You know the amazing thing about the victorious life, and that is this, it's supernatural. You have the fingerprints of God on you. I remember as a high school kid, people from my church coming up to me and say. Jimmy, that's what they called me back then. Don't you dare try it. But anyway, um, I guess my nieces and nephews can. But anyway, as long as they put uncle before it. But anyway, um, Jimmy, you're an evangelist. And I will be honest with you. I was, that stunned me. Because I'm not funny. At least I didn't think I was. I'm not funny. I don't have a magnetic personality. I kind of look at my personality as a bottle of pop that's been open for 24 hours. You know, I, the fizz is gone. You know what I'm saying? I'm just being honest with you. I didn't, evangelists have phenomenal personalities. They are hilarious. They're stand-up comedians and all that. I didn't think I had any of that. But they, my church members, all kinds of church members would come. I mean, someone with tears in their eyes. I'd say, Jimmy, you're called to preach. I had guys, as I went off to Bible college, came back, still didn't know I was an evangelist. They'd come up to me, tears in their eyes, say, Jimmy, I love you. I'm praying for you. They'd give me big bear hugs. I've got heroes that will never be known by anybody but people that market Manor Baptist Church. Just total heroes. They weren't perfect people. Some of them had major issues in their life. But I'll tell you, as a young preacher, they encouraged me. Now, the peril would have been for me to get pride about that, proud about that. But here's the point. The gifting God gave me is a phenomenal gift. I will tell you, I don't know what your gift is, but I love my gift. I absolutely love my gift. It's just a phenomenal gift. Now, obviously the key is we just talk about want to love the giver more than the gift, and I'm amazed that the giver gave me the gift. But here's my point, friend. Wouldn't it be kind of strange to get cocky about a gift? And yet that's sometimes what, what happens. Because the victorious life, anything God gives us, God's grace is a gift. So pride is a peril. Taking credit for what God gave us when we know we had nothing to do with it. It's a peril. So true true victory, I like what Trumbull says here, true victory therefore must keep us humble and it will. Okay, there's the parable of being unteachable. That would be like unto the other one. Sometimes people um, grow spiritually, get an understanding. My dad taught me something. He said, you know, Jim, he said, there's some preachers that irritate the fire out of me. He said, I see blind spots in their life. I see they got issues. they got problems. But he says, you know what God does? He said, they get up and preach, and God convicts me through a preacher that irritates me. <laughs> so what would you do in that situation? Now, I thank the Lord for my dad. You know what he would do? So I don't like the vessel, but that message came from God. i got to take that. You know what my dad taught me is this. Imperfect people will bless you. <laughs> and imperfect people will teach you. And sometimes you'll see inconsistencies in their life, but you're saying, that came from God. 
Don't be unteachable is the point. You say, I understand things they don't. You know what I've learned? They understand things I don't. <laughs> That's the great thing about the body. <laughs> we need each other. And I need to hear other preachers. And sometimes preachers that a uh, little different stripe or flavor or whatever, but I'll listen to them maybe at a meeting or whatever, and I kind of have a little prejudice uh, maybe or whatever, and boy, I'm telling you, God comes down and encourages me, blesses me, and reminds me, boy, you, none of us got a corner on the truth. All of us have stuff to still learn. Did you know that? <laughs> See, about the time you finish your freshman year, you'll think you know it all. By the time you finish seminary, you realize you don't know nothing, okay? okay that's what it's all designed to do, okay? And uh, so, uh, but anyway, peril of being unteachable. And it is a peril, friend. Um, this uh, we talked about the other day from Trumbull. True victory is by faith, but faith must be fed, and faith can be apart from daily cannot be apart from daily nourishment from the Word of God, daily time alone with God in prayer. In other words, friends, oh, that would be this. I'm sorry, I went too many pages over. Now let me give you the perils, and then we'll go back to that. The peril of sagging below God's will. That would be the peril of license. That would be the peril of passivity. That would be the peril of, okay, I got it now. And so we just become very passive in our Christian life and we sag below what God's will, as the other one talked about being pushed. And certainly that would be more of a peril in this generation than the other one. But then the next one, the peril of presuming on God's grace. And that was where he talked about you've got to feed faith. You've got to spend time in God's Word. You cannot presume on the grace of God. There has to be a walk with God. There has to be, as we talked about yesterday, action steps, faith steps, where God works in our heart and we say, okay, that's what God wants me to do. I'm going to take that step of faith, trusting Him to enable me to do it. Okay, so the danger, the peril of presuming on God's grace and not fueling our faith Etc. Then another peril, we have to move these, taking uh, sin too uh, lightly, tolerating a break in our victory as though it were unimportant after all. In other words, it can be like this, friends. Sometimes, I believe, when it comes to the victorious life, when you get a hold of it, you think, well, you know, okay, so I have a break in my fellowship. I can get back right with God anytime I want. That is extremely dangerous. It's a peril once you understand it's a gift. Well, I don't have to earn it. I can just by faith appropriate it, is to take it for granted. And just to spend time away from God that we know we should immediately get right with God and we tolerate it. Some of you know what it is to walk with God, but you're not right now. And here's my question to you. Why has there been days, hours, or maybe even weeks of not walking with God when you know how to restore fellowship with Him? You are presuming. That's a peril. You've fallen into a peril. Taking sin too lightly. Taking lack of fellowship with God way too lightly. Uh, being complacent in defeat. Just being too, too light about the fact. That's a peril because you understand it's a gift. I can get back anytime I want. Very, uh, very perilous. And particularly, I believe, in your youth, you can just say, well, you know, I'll get right with God in a couple of days. You know, the truth is, friend, that's a dangerous thing because every step you take away from God, do you know what I find? There's less light and more darkness. Every step you take away from God, you're in trouble. So it's, uh, you know, I've, you've probably heard the story. I think it's Spurgeon who was walking across the street. And uh, I think I may have mentioned this even last week, can't remember for sure, but, you know, the moment he realized he wasn't right with God, he took his hat off, put it over his heart, right on that center line, and got right with God, right in the middle of the street. That's somebody who understood that, in fact, I'm not falling into that peril. And as soon as something passes between him and God, I'm getting it right. Now, I might encourage you in our day to cross the street, because people are pretty bad drivers, but you get the point. Okay, you get the point. Okay. Ah, another one of the perils, he said, is actually gross sin. I think this is interesting. He says, those who have gone the highest with the Lord can go the lowest. 
You need to understand that because I will tell you, there are young people who, now again, thank the Lord, most of our graduates have done wonderfully. But there's a handful of graduates that I would tell you sat in the seat, made some of the same decisions. I've seen tears in their eyes. I've seen them see remarkable answers to prayer. I've seen God's hand on their life. And I can't even describe to you how far they are from God. I'm thinking one who is such a liberal Democrat that is so liberal you'd be shocked that he once sat where you sat and literally had answers to prayer and used, was used of God in a remarkable fashion. Those that go the highest can go the lowest. So you're not immune when you understand faith. It's a gift, remember that. Your flesh is pretty, pretty bad deal and all of us need to understand that Galatians 5 is a great chapter for us to understand you cannot mess around with your flesh. Next peril. Uh, this is interesting peril. Uh, may, I, uh, may just a word be spoken here as to another peril that we may have a simple, sensible recognition of this and be safeguarded accordingly. It is as to the relationship of men and women in the spiritual life. In general, it is evident from the Word of God as to marriage relation and from experience, observation, and common sense that the deeper spiritual relationships between fellow Christians should observe the same lines that ordinary conventionalities of life insist upon. That is, that the deeper spiritual relationship should be between men and men, between women and women, rather than between two persons of the opposite gender, unless indeed God is bringing such persons together to be united in marriage. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've seen enough moves of God... It's amazing. In moves of God, I remember years ago I saw a revival on a youth group and the guys started hugging the girls and the girls started hugging the guys. And of course I'm young, I'm a visitor, and I never forget the youth pastor or principal got up and said, no, 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 young people, God is moving, but let's not give the flesh an opportunity here. And that's what we're talking about here. Okay, so uh, interesting he brought it up. I'm bringing it up because he did. And finally, he said, let us recognize the peril of being unhuman. Now, what he says by that, by unhuman, it, because of the depths of the intensity of the spiritual life. In other words, it's like this, friends. Um, someone who is unhuman is somebody, how do I put this, who gets into the spiritual life so much that they neglect that part of them which God ordained, which is part of the human existence. And there can be that, and that actually becomes a false spirituality, and it actually repels people because it's not Jesus. Did you know Jesus enjoyed food? Jesus enjoyed life. He enjoyed things. Why? Because he's a human being. In fact, I believe that um, the, new, the new heaven, new earth, when they're the, they come down, I understand all this. Dr. Paul, of course, is I'm sure an expert. But anyway, uh, when all that unites, that um, one of the things about heaven is going to be this. There's many things about the human experience that you enjoy that you will enjoy in the new heaven, new earth. You'll enjoy them. And except that the only difference will be somehow it'll all be wrapped up in worshiping God. Now, I don't know if there'll be coffee in heaven. I think so, since no blood is shed. But um, I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we, uh, there's some things that we really enjoy now that we'll enjoy there, except there's no sin. Why? Because we're human beings. The Bible says He's given us all things richly to enjoy. There are certain things about the human existence God get music. I enjoy music. And I know here I don't really have to preach on that, but occasionally you get, I, I, I mean, get people to get off on stuff like that and uh, get into what he would call right here next to it. He says, God wants to deliver us from all the time from the peril of narrowness. If we have any musical ability, let us praise God for it. Let us ask him prayerfully to enable us to cultivate that ability that he may use our music to his glory. And this does not mean that we play or sing only hymns either. There is plenty of other music that is not of the devil and that God would use to keep us close to our fellows in joyous, healthy way. 
It's just interesting that he said that. I simply point that out because sometimes uh, the, the peril of unhuman. <laughs> so the be people can become into asceticism. Have there not been religious movements in history that have become very much into asceticism? See, now God's simply saying the spirit-filled life is not that. There are times we'll sacrifice. There are times God leads us. There are times we may fast, and I get all that. But the point is, is that, that people living the victorious life are people who are human. The thing I loved about my dad is he knew a little bit about everything. I could talk to him about the Cubs. I could talk to him about physics. I could talk to him about politics. I could talk to him about um, uh, certain aspects of science. Why? Because he's a human being. Did he walk with God? Yes, he was a tremendous example to me of somebody who walked with Jesus. But he was human. He enjoyed life. My dad loved to eat. Okay, that's where I get the foodie part of me. I mean, he knew all the fine restaurants in Chicago. He knew them all, didn't he? He knew them all. He could take us uh, to a Greek restaurant or whatever else. The point is, that's what I'm simply trying to, I believe that Trumbull's trying to help us understand, that in, a person who is walking with Jesus enjoys life. And people see the joy. I don't know about you, there's sometimes, I know this sounds really crazy, but I, I'll just conclude with this. There's sometimes, every Saturday morning almost, I'll walk down, I'll go down, used to take one of my daughters with me, but now i got to go alone. It's kind of sad. But anyway, I'll go down and get my cup of coffee, uh, usually Dunkin', hardly ever Starbucks. I'm just not a compromiser. But anyway, and so I go down and get my Dunkin' Donuts coffee or McDonald's if there's no Dunkin', which is really a bummer. But anyway, and, uh, you know, sometimes I just sit outside with the sun shining, drinking that coffee and thinking, God, I love what I'm doing. I just thank you for this cup of coffee. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for life. Do you enjoy life, friends? Because when you're walking with Jesus, you'll love life. And you'll be excited. Everything God gives you, just be excited about it. Lord, thank you for giving me that. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for that experience. Thank you for that beautiful sunset. Thank you for uh, just the beauty of, that's around. Even out, out west, you know, the brown and the desert, you know. And out there, it's, you've got a unique beauty. Believe me, I wouldn't want to live there, but it's, it's kind of nice seeing that. And uh, the point, friends, is this. The peril of the Christian life is not embracing the fact that God has given us a wonderful human experience that He wants us to enjoy and praise Him for on a daily basis. I hope you'll do that. The perils of the victorious life. Could I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? Heads are bowed.